I'm going to pray in a moment, but we're starting a new Bible class this morning called Introduction to Biblical Theology. I'm excited about this class. I think that it will be really helpful for us as a church. So I want to give you my kind of rationale for teaching this class. Two classes ago, we did a class on the church. What is the church? So we call it ecclesiology. And then our last class was really a class on corporate worship. So what does the church do when the church gathers? And now this class on biblical theology is really about how do we read the book that undergirds all of that? And how do we make the, the story that God has given us in the Bible our story? So we've kind of started with, you know, who, who we are, what do we do together, and now really how do we understand all of life as we look at it through the Bible? So I, th- I hope that this class will be really helpful. Um, I, I'll say also that you might disagree with me on some things in here, and th- those times are perfect times to be able to talk about the Bible together. Some of the things I'm going to suggest in this class, I think every Christian needs to believe. Uh, but there are other things that are more subjective or perhaps a, a unique way of, of looking at the Bible and interpreting it and understanding it. And those things, of course, are, are up for discussion. Uh, but let's have those discussions together uh, with each other as you think about how you're reading the Bible. And, and then as you have other questions, I'd be happy, happy to talk about them. I want to make three book recommendations that might, if you're really interested in this topic and you want to go... Um, you know, a little bit deeper. The first one is this little book called From Eden to the New Jerusalem. It's an introduction to biblical theology by a guy named T. Desmond Alexander. And as you can see, this is the, a pretty small book, uh, but this, this book was pretty life-changing for me. Uh, not the first or even the second time I read it, but the third time I read it. I didn't really like it the first time, but as I started thinking more about um, how to understand the Bible and what the Bible is. This book really changed the way that I read the Bible, and so I would I would recommend it. There are certainly portions in it that might not be interesting or that might be somewhat technical, but I think on the whole, it's a really, really readable book. So I would recommend that one. The, the next one I'd recommend is this book called God's Kingdom Through God's Covenants. And it's the abridged, shortened version of a much thicker book called Kingdom Through Covenant. And this book just talks about the way that the covenants in the Bible fit together. Um, You know, how does the Noahic covenant relate to the Abrahamic covenant? And how does the Abrahamic covenant relate to the New Covenant and and the Mosaic covenant? And so this this book, uh, I'll appeal to you in the the larger version as well, often throughout this class, because I think they're on to something with trying to read the Bible with its own internal framework. So instead of imposing, and we'll talk about this in two weeks and, and a little bit next week, instead of imposing a structure of dispensations on the Bible, and instead of imposing a structure of an eternal covenant, a covenant of works, and a covenant of grace on the Bible in reading through those lenses, these guys suggest, why don't we read through the structure that the Bible gives us, which is the progression of covenant. So I think that makes a great deal of sense, and we'll talk about that more over the next quarter. The final one is more of a reference book. It's called 40 Questions About Biblical Theology. And there are some chapters in here, some questions that you just might not care about at all um, and that you would never read. But there are other questions in here that you might care about a lot, like what is biblical theology is the very first one. We'll address that question today and really drawing from this book a lot. But if you would like a, a reference on your shelf that talks about 
everything from what biblical theology is to different ways that the New Testament authors appeal to the Old Testament to the way that we should understand the Mosaic Law for the Christian life. This would be a really helpful resource. All right, let me pray, and then we'll get started here this morning. Father, thank you that we can come together and think about the Bible. We love your word, at least we say that we do, and I pray that in this class you would cultivate in our hearts a a love for your word that will last for, for a lifetime, that we would learn how to approach it and navigate it and really to find ourselves in it as we find your story for the world, for redemption, and for our lives. In Christ we pray, amen. All right, how many of you have sung the song, the B-I-B-L-E? Okay, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, and then we yell Bible, right? Um, That song is interesting, and um, I am not going to suggest we should never sing that song, but I do think we need to ask ourselves, what are we saying there? What does, what does it mean? The, the Bible is the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, not I stand on God's word alone. That's an e- even an interesting way that sentences come together. Is the Bible just about me and the Bible and how I approach it and whatever I want it to say is what it says? Um, it's on this I stand. So it's the foundation for my life. Yet, most Christians have not read the first two-thirds of their Bible at all, perhaps portions in Genesis and some in Exodus and skipping a lot of numbers in Deuteronomy till you get to Joshua and Judges and then a little bit about David and some of the Psalms. But is the Bible the book for me? And if so, how is it the book for me? In 2018, um, I missed this because at that time I had a flip phone and no social media, so I only heard about this from other people. But in 2018, this mega church pastor, Andy Stanley, suggested that Christians have reached a point where they need to unhitch Christianity from the Old Testament, which is to say we need to leave the Old Testament behind. And he appealed to Acts, where the, uh, Acts 15, where the apostles and, and others gathered for the Jerusalem Council trying to you know, decipher how, how should we welcome Gentiles into the church? What restrictions and um, commandments should we put on them? And he suggested is that if you observe that text, the apostles' way forward for Christianity was to sort of jettison the Old Testament and, and to proceed not with the Old Testament at all, but instead with um, this experience of Christ's resurrection. And what he did is he pitted the resurrection against the Old Testament. And um, I want to say that I, I understand, I think, his motivation for doing this. And I don't think I'm going to treat him unfairly. I, I went back and watched all three sermons in this three-part sermon where, where he concluded with this idea just to make sure, you know, were people getting riled up about, like, misquoting or, or misunderstanding. And really what he did in that series was try to say the Old Testament um, has been attacked by people, uh, secular scholars, philosophers, really even not philosophers, scientists that he quoted there. And uh, what it does, if you rely on the Old Testament, is it will destroy your faith. Because as people point out problems with the Old Testament, um, 
you're, you're going to be defending something, and Jesus doesn't want you to defend that. Jesus excised the Old Testament. He got rid of it, and so we can too. And that, that's essentially his argument, and I, I would suggest that that's problematic, um, and this is why. Turn to Luke 24. We have to ask, did Jesus pit his resurrection against the Old Testament, and Je- did Jesus affirm unhitching the Old Testament from what we understand now as the Christian faith? I want to propose that on both sides of the resurrection, Jesus was very concerned with what we call the Old Testament. And after his resurrection, he did not pit his resurrection in that experience against the scriptures, but instead went on to bring them together and to demonstrate to the apostles that these two things are not separate at all. Though we can't understand Jesus' resurrection without the Old Testament, is what I'm trying to say. So when we hear people like Andy Stanley suggest the way to preserve Christianity and to move forward is to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, that's a very un-Jesus-like approach to Israel's scriptures. So after Jesus' resurrection, Luke 24, 30, he's speaking with a number of individuals, and as as he reclined at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. So we sort of have a another Lord's Supper experience here. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. That's an interesting occurrence, too. The resurrected Lord disappears from them, and what are they left to reflect on? Well, this. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. So when Jesus disappears from them, what do they comment about? Well, they comment about Jesus' teaching of what they refer to as the scriptures. Well, then Jesus appeared to his disciples later, and in verse 44, this is what he tells them. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that's prior to his death and resurrection, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and look, I am sending you what my Father promised. The point is that Jesus connected Christianity, both during his ministry and post-resurrection ongoing Christianity, to the scriptures. And when they reference the scriptures, they're not talking about the Old and New Testament. They don't have the New Testament yet. So when he's talking about the scriptures, he's talking about what we refer to as the Old Testament. Um, And I'm going to suggests that we refer to it as Israel's scriptures whenever we can. So this is a little bit of an internal debate, but for those of you who are reading about biblical theology, I'll make a couple comments. The first is sometimes academics and and scholars will talk about the Hebrew Bible, and we we need to read the Hebrew Bible. I think that's true. We need to read the Bible in Hebrew. Uh, But there's also a Greek Bible that we refer to as the Septuagint or the LXX, and that's actually the text that the apostles quote from throughout the New Testament. Very rarely, if ever, do the apostles quote from the Hebrew Bible. 
Now, I think we need to look at both. And one of those reasons is that there are different arrangements of the books in the Old Testament, depending on whether you're looking at the Hebrew Bible or the Greek Bible. The Greek Bible reflects our arrangement of the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible reflects a different one. And the way the canon is shaped is important for interpretation. And as we, I mean, if you watch a film or read a series of books, the way that they're ordered actually does matter. And it changes the way it hits you. Uh, But we might also say that multiple orderings are valid. So instead of just talking about the Hebrew Bible or just the the Greek Old Testament, I think we should talk about Israel's scriptures and read all of them. So as an example, some people here have got me reading this series of, of fiction books, and there are a bunch of them, and they can be read in multiple orders. And as I've talked to different people, they're like, oh, you're reading them in the wrong order. Or why did they suggest that order for you to read? Well, it's because order... Um, changes the way that we receive a book and when insights and understanding happen. So um, when, we're, when we're talking about the scriptures, I think we need to consider that. And when we construct our idea of what the Bible is saying, we have to take the order into consideration. The most important um, ordering or arrangement of the Bible that you need to catch on to, that everybody needs to catch on to, is what is identified here in Luke when Jesus says that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he's just referencing a tripartite division of the Old Testament that talks about the law, what we refer to as the Pentateuch, so the first five books of the Bible, and then the prophets, um, self-explanatory, the prophets, and then the writings. And, and sometimes we would refer to this as the wisdom literature. Psalms would be the, the largest collection of wisdom literature, but Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon would fit in that as well. And what Jesus is saying is that every major section of the Bible, every section in this tripartite division, testifies to himself and to his death and resurrection. So for us to be Christians and to know Jesus, We need to have the Old Testament. We can't cut ourselves off from the Old Testament because it speaks of Jesus in every section. Now, some have have read that text, and and instead of hearing that everything written about me in these sections must be fulfilled, they they will suggest that everything written in those sections is about Jesus. And that's where, as you start to talk to people about biblical theology, there's sometimes is this push to identify Jesus in every line of scripture or something like that. And I don't think we can do that. I think all of scripture will, will point us towards Christ, but I don't think we can find Jesus in every line of scripture, but we do find Jesus in every section of scripture. And every line contributes to those sections. So, so in a way we can, but we don't want to talk about biblical theology as a pursuit of finding Jesus in, in every word or something but understanding the the driving force of the scripture's testimony to Christ. So over the last 2,000 years, so some have suggested we don't need the Old Testament, we need it. But how do we fit the Old Testament and the New Testament together? Um, How can we say that the Bible is for me when we read many sections and say, well, that section's not for me, or at least in our actions we don't, incorporate these sections of the Bible into our lives. We read much of the Old Covenant law, and, and we don't follow it. Well, why, can't, why don't we? Why do we have permission not to? Well, that's what biblical theology is dealing with in part. How do we deal with the diversity and unity of the Old Testament? How can we say that the, un, the Bible is a unified whole 
while also saying that there are tensions of diversity and discontinuity and really commands that we don't follow or obey. Well, that's what biblical theology is going to deal with. And that's really what we want to come out with in this class is how do you read the Bible as a unified whole? All right, any questions or comments up to this point? I should say that I'm giving you very full notes. I'm not going to follow them precisely. They're hopefully a helpful resource for you, um, but I, uh, I wouldn't recommend trying to track where we are totally by, by the progression of the notes. So if you're getting lost, um, know that these usually get written earlier on, and then as I think about things in the week, I, I sort of tweak, but it doesn't make it into your, your edition. Okay, th- hopefully this makes sense. I think uh, some of us can approach the Old Testament and look at it as a big scary thing and then just run away from it. Or we read it in a particular way and we start to defend things or incorporate things into our lives that that shouldn't be there. That actually is part of a different era of redemptive history. And we need to be able to think clearly and carefully about these things. So what is biblical theology? As a discipline, biblical theology is really difficult to define. Uh, There are a ton of definitions for biblical theology. Um, And as one guy notes here, there are a number of valid answers, just as there are a number of valid answers to the question, what is civil engineering? Well, in whatever occupation you have, someone might ask you what a vet is or, you know, what an accountant is. And as soon, I mean, you can give a brief general one that's helpful for everybody. But as soon as you start talking within that discipline, there are debates maybe about methodology and how you approach this and what the ultimate goal is of whatever discipline or occupation it is that you're in. But as one of my professors says frequently, generalizations are almost always wrong, but almost always helpful. And so as we get into what is biblical theology, we're going to talk about it in a general way. That is probably wrong if you start looking at all the particulars and, you know, it's missing a bunch of nuances, but hopefully it's really helpful. So the, the, definition that I want to follow, I think is on page five for you at the top of page five. This guy, Andy Nacelli, he's a professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary, defines biblical theology in this way. Biblical theology is a way of analyzing and synthesizing the Bible that makes organizing or organic salvation historical connections within the whole canon on its own terms especially regarding how the Old and New Testaments progress, integrate, and climax in Christ. So I think that's a helpful definition. I think spell check changed organic to organizing. So if you want the right definition, scratch out organizing, put organic. Um, When we talk about analyzing and synthesizing, analyzing is breaking something down into its, you know, constituent parts. Synthesizing is bringing everything together in a holistic way. Um, But let's look at the basic features of this definition. Biblical theology seeks to make organic connections within the whole of Scripture, especially between the Old and the New Testaments. But what we need to understand is that there is theological development even within the Testament. So when you read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, when you're reading the, the prophets in the writings, These biblical authors are reading the Pentateuch and they're interpreting the Pentateuch and they're making comments about the Pentateuch. So we we are going to see organic connections even in the Old Testament. 
So it's not as if it's just a difference between reconciling what's in the New Testament and what's in the Old Testament. But even within the Old Testament, that, that canon was written over the course of at least a couple thousand years. Well, that's a long time for development um, of theology and thinking. And there's further revelation that's given by God to these biblical authors. So what we're trying to do in both the Old and the New Testament is to make the organic connection. So we talk about themes or ideas showing up early in the Bible in something like a seed form. And as the Bible progresses in Revelation, that seed starts to sprout into a plant and then into a tree and then it bears fruit. And there are connections then that we can make between things like a prophecy or or a, a verse in Genesis 3.15 that talks about the one who will brush the head of the serpent, and we trace this theme of the seed of the serpent organically all the way through. We start to see it picked up, for instance, um, in, well, very immediately with Cain and with Abel, to where before the serpent was crouching to, to devour the man and the woman, now sin depersonified is crouching to devour Cain. Well, the, there's a depersonification of the serpent, the personification of, of sin, perhaps, and then we track the seed of serpent versus seed of the woman later on as you start reading about Pharaoh, this guy who has all of, all of Abraham's seed in captivity and, and what's on Pharaoh's you know, cap, what's on, what's on his headdress, a serpent. Well, and then there's serpent imagery with, with Moses dealing with, with serpents uh, in, in a battle against the magicians and you trace this on. And then you have prophecies in Isaiah where, where the child will be able to sit with the adder, right? But then there's another picture where even though lion and lamb are together, the serpent is still in the dust. Well, and then you trace this even further as Jesus talks to the Pharisees. And what does he call them? You brood of vipers. And, and then into the New Testament authors is um, individuals like the Apostle John writes and says something like, um, who is a murderer and starts to connect this to the seed of the serpent. Well, we start to make organic connections that are not just cutesy things, but are actual connections where later authors, you know, closer to our time period, are reflecting on the writing of earlier authors. And I think that Jesus is the prime example of the one who does this. I think this is why when we hear Jesus say that he is the bread of life, not only is he reflecting on the manna in the wilderness, but also when he says, take and eat, I think that he is intending a reversal of the serpent's words in the garden to, to the first man and the first woman who said, take and eat. And that eating led to death and Jesus's eating will lead to life. Well, as we read the Bible, we want to make these organic connections across the whole canon of scripture. Um, and, and this is what biblical theology is, I think, really all about. It, it's seen the unified witness in, in the one redemptive story as later authors pick up on the language and ideas and themes of earlier biblical authors. Does this make sense? Okay. Um, I, I just suggest if you're thinking, that's silly, this is the way you read every other, every other uh, book. This is the way that you read any, any story is you start picking up on things that show up in seed form earlier on and then they're organically developed throughout the story as, as they blossom into the future. So how do we do this? Well, we, it's an organic connection that we seek and we do it across the salvation history timeline or what we refer to as redemption history, redemptive history. 
and there are several ways to do it. I, I illustrated one, tracing the theme of the, the seed of the serpent. We can trace a theme across salvation historical progression, um, but we, we also have to consider the continuity, the sameness, and the discontinuity, the difference between the covenants. We sometimes think about this just in terms of the, the similarities and differences between what we read in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but we need to expand beyond that to think of all of the major biblical covenants. And, and here I think it's important to notice that even the way our Bible is structured in the way that we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament can kind of be mis- a misleading hermeneutic, a misleading interpretive device. This word testament is, is just a word covenant. Um, they're just translated differently, but it's the same Greek word. And what we can be misled to understand is this. We can start to think that the Old Testament is everything old Mosaic covenant in, in God, and the New Testament is everything for me in, in this covenant. But everything in the Old Testament is not just Mosaic covenants. There are other covenants there, and there are other continuities and discontinuities that we need to consider, and there's a, that's where all the prophecies of the New Covenant come in. And so we need to, we need to think about these things. Uh, but beyond that, we need to look at these not as maybe an Old Covenant and New Covenant in our Bible, but the holistic, redemptive history of God. But we have to think about the continuity and discontinuity. We want to track things like promise and fulfillment. Promise is made, promise is kept. Um, as we read the Old and the New Testaments, we can trace type and anti-type. We'll get into this language a little bit more, but this is something that we refer to as typology. Once again, this is a general way of talking about it, but it analyzes how New Testament persons, events, and institutions fulfill Old Testament persons, events, and institutions. So you'll have something show up in the Old Testament, whether it's um, a person or event or, or a text of scripture, and then you'll have it show up again in a more significant way in the New Testament. We talk about the, the shadowy form of this is the type, and, and the full thick form of this is the anti-type. And, and that's really kind of hard for people to understand because you think anti-type maybe means against. But I, so I'd like to talk, talk about like the archetype, the, the kind of thing that the type was based on. Um, but you can imagine it in this way, maybe if you attend a wedding and in the flower girl walks down the aisle. Well, she's sort of like the shadowy, um, seed-like form of the lady who's about to walk down the bride, right? So we get this thing where even in, in our ceremonies and other places, there are prefigurings. Um, this one just happens really back close, back to back. Well, that's how the Old Testament works very often, is that there are these types, these shadowy, you know, bridesmaids, and, and then there's the bride, the, the thicker, fuller version. I shouldn't follow up talking about a, a bride that way, but um, we can remove that maybe from the record. Um, and then we want to think of it through how the New Testament uses the old. Well, even in Ephesians today, there will be a quote from Genesis 2.24, and I think that this is going to be the interpretive key for understanding Ephesians 5.22 through 33. And it's only by, by looking at what Paul says through that lens that, that we'll hear what he says rightly. At least that's what I'm going to propose, um, though not everyone will perhaps like, ag- agree with that. But we, we have to deal with that. And different people will read these things different ways. And then we'll ask questions like, can we do what the Apostle Paul does with the New Testament? Is, is he showing us how to read the Bible? Or is he just doing something unique and just, you know, 
using the Bible however he wants and we don't have authority or license to do that? Well, these are questions that we have to consider and biblical theology attempts to do that. Um, the next feature, well, I'll pause there. Any questions about those, those things? Tim. Well, the, there's, yeah, so Tim is saying we, we would never say Paul just does whatever he wants. Well, there are a lot of people who would say he uses the Old Testament in such a bizarre way. We sh- this is non-repeatable, and this is uniquely Pauline, and we should, we should not try to learn how to read from him. He, he's just using this for his own purposes, which is to prove a, a particular point in the moment. Well, that, that's the question. Should we learn how to read the Old Testament? Testament from Paul. And, and I would venture, yes, we should. Um, though there will be many who would say, no, you cannot repeat what Paul is doing. You can accept it in places where he does it. You can't try it. Well, I, I think that um, Paul is not showing us bad hermeneutics or bad biblical interpretation. I think he's showing us spirit-filled biblical interpretation. And, and that's what the, the New Testament says, is even upon you Gentiles, you receive the, the Spirit. And Paul over and over again prays for his readers that their eyes would be open so that they would have the wisdom and understanding of God. Well, Paul gives us a hermeneutic, and we'll, we'll have to talk about that as we go. Um, so study or discipline of biblical theology tries to analyze and synthesize and make these organic connections. Um, as it looks at the whole canon, the Old and the New Testament, and it, it does this on the Bible's own churn. So it wants to use the Bible's own categories for understanding the Bible, which, which makes sense. Um, I'll talk about what I mean there as I kind of set biblical theology and systematic theology against each other, not against each other, but um, in contrast to each other. But we want to read the Bible on its own terms. We want to say we're receiving this text as, as God's word in a, in, as a holistic text, as a narrative. And that's what we'll get into mostly next week is, is reading the Bible as a whole and as, as God's redemptive narrative. Um, but we, we want to read the Bible. That's where we put most of our time and attention in our study, though we will incorporate other things like the, the writings in the Second Temple period, this time when the biblical authors were alive, because our goal in reading the Bible, in part, is to gain the interpretive perspective of the biblical author. We want to hold on to their worldview as they read the, the scriptures instead of imposing our experiences and worldview on it. That's going to require us to read literature outside of the Bible. But when we do biblical theology, we're, we're trying to read the Bible on its own terms. Um, so we'll, we'll look at things like you know, just a book of the Bible at a time. So sometimes we'll trace a theme just in Genesis or uh, just in Matthew or something like that. But then we build out and we expand to look at an author's collected writing. So we might ask a question like, well, what does Paul say about the end times? And we'll get a a Pauline eschatology or something like that. Um, But then we'll expand maybe to whole Testament. We'll develop an Old Testament biblical theology or a New Testament biblical theology Tyler's in New Testament biblical theology in seminary right now, so he can talk to you about that. Um, But then we want to, in this class, expand beyond those smaller iterations of biblical theology to think about a whole Bible 
biblical theology. And, and so that's where our focus will be. Um, as I already mentioned, um, in the coming weeks, we, we will try to read the Bible on its own terms in looking at the biblical covenants that, that span the Old and the New Testament. Um, so we will consider what are, what's the dispensational approach to reading the scriptures in the framework that they use. It's an interpretive grid. What's the covenantal approach to reading the Bible? Well, that's another framework in grid. Uh, both of those are really from the outside. Um, and then what, we'll, what I'll propose is this kind of internal reading. So we, we read the Bible on its own terms and expand outward. Uh, so on, that's a place where if you don't agree with me, that's fine. Um, you can be a convinced dispensationalist or covenantalist as we go through this. But I think that's one of the great things about uh, reading the Bible with its own internal structure. Even if you disagree with that as the primary hermeneutic and you think instead dispensations or, or these three external covenants should be our primary hermeneutic, you'll still be able to gain a lot because you'll see the, the Bible's unfolding story even if at times you'll disagree with how these biblical covenants relate. And so even if, you're, if, even if you'll disagree with me, that's fine. This will still be really helpful for you and will perhaps challenge some of your thinking and, and the way that you read the Bible. Uh, let me briefly contrast biblical and systematic theology. Uh, many of you are very familiar with systematic theology. If you're coming to us from Eden and you did the leadership development, you probably read Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. Um, if you're coming from uh, other places, that's like the most popular one. In the days ahead, as we, we work, put together our theological development program, we'll use a different systematic theology that I think is going to be uh, perhaps better. Um, but if you've gone through any systematic theology, you understand that there are general categories. There's like theology proper, the study of God, there's, you know, Christology, pneumatology, soteriology, homardiology, ecclesiology, eschatology. I think those are the big seven. And, and there are maybe some other subologies like angelology that, that you'll find in a systematic theology. And, and what that is doing is it's asking questions that rise from our own selves, from our culture, and saying, what does the Bible have to say about this? So it's really more of a deductive study. And so as Grudem admits in his systematic theology, it's essentially a, where if I want to know what the Bible says about the Trinity or about Christ or about sin, I'm going to do like a word search and find every text relating to this. And then I'm going to try to synthesize it. So it's coming with my question and, and turning out an answer. That's not fair for all systematic theology. Systematic theology is more than that and, and appeals to philosophy and natural theology and some of these other things. But it fundamentally is approaching the text with a question already in mind. As you can imagine, different time periods in different cultures and different places will have different questions that they're asking. So a systematic theology that's written in the United States will probably be structured in a different way and have different categories than a systematic theology written in Africa or Iraq or Australia. That there are different questions that arise. And so it is truly a reading of the Bible, but not a reading of the Bible on its own terms. It's reading it based on our question. Well, biblical theology says we want to get into the worldview of the biblical authors and understand what was important to them. And we want to ask and identify the questions that they raise. So, so we're not coming saying, 
what is the Trinity. Instead, we're, we're reading through and understanding what do the biblical authors think is important about God. And, and a good biblical theology doesn't end just with analyzing, but it does synthesize. And so we formulate theology as we read the Bible. And, and there's sort of then an overlap between systematic and biblical theology. Um, does, does this make sense? So biblical theology, more inductive, reading the Bible on its own terms, and trying to identify the questions and themes of the biblical authors. Systematic theology is more deductive in trying to find answers to our questions. Um, and, and that one is dangerous when it's separated from biblical theology, I think, because we can start to find verses in, in our search and then start to proof text certain things, and, and that's not helpful. Now, of course, there are other disciplines of theology, historical theology, what has the church believed. We need all of these systematic and biblical and historical and natural theologies. Um, but my favorite, and this is why I'm doing a PhD in this field, is biblical theology. And I think this is what's most accessible to Christians because we all have Bible. And, and that's something that God has given us. We all are not going to take an interest in deep diving, you know, the, the way that the soul is created or, or made or comes into existence. We don't care about that philosophical question, maybe. But we, we should care about what the biblical authors care about. All right. Um, and then there's just a really big uh, sequence of biblical theology. We start with interpreting individual text. That leads us to biblical theology, which informs our systematic theology. Um, any questions up to this point before I give our closing comments? Okay, I, I think that biblical theology is really important for our Christian discipleship as individuals and as a church. And um, this, is, this is because as we start to see what the Bible is, a redemptive narrative, uh, that, that understanding is going to help us work through difficult and challenging parts of the Bible um, as we start to read it as a story. I'll talk about this more next week, but what do you do with conflicting accounts or, or really um, challenging things like genocide in, in the Old Testament? Well, I think biblical theology is going to help us there in a variety of ways. But more than that, I think sometimes we go about discipleship as if it is finding all of the propositions in the Bible and trying to get people to accept those propositions first intellectually and in, in then in conformity. Well, the Bible is not just a list of propositions, but it's God's story that we enter into. And stories have a way of grasping our affections and reaching down to the core of who we are in a way that a basic listing of propositions can't, um, that, that a scientific analyzation of, of history cannot do. I think that's why the, the, where you find that kind of emphasize scientific analyzation of the Bible or heavy emphasis on propositions disconnected from the redemptive story, that's where people leave the faith. It's because there's no grasping on who they are. Well, as we read the Bible from a biblical theology standpoint as a redemptive narrative, we start to see that we're invited into God's story. We're invited to make God's story our story and really to find ourselves not by looking internally, but by looking externally looking to the creator who we mirror in the core of our identity as image bearers of God. And, in, in, and that leads to discipleship. That's how we are conformed to Christ, the perfect image of God. So I, I think that as we go into this class, you'll start to see how this is helpful for discipleship. Hopefully it will encourage you to read more of the Bible 
um, and, and to read larger chunks so you, like you would in, in any story you're reading, you start to see um, the, the larger movement of God in history. Not as a story that's a fiction or a fantasy, but a, a story that makes really the truths that we learn from fiction and fantasy really, really true because they're drawing from, from the, the most miraculous and marvelous story, which is God's um, creation and redemption of, of his people.